You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and we have a wonderful 277 lined up for you. You know how much I'm a love my sevens? I love my sevens. Yes, I love my sevens. If you are new to the show, um, I'm a little out there and back. I will admit there's 276 episodes before this one. I have sort of fine-tuned my whimsical hysteria. (laughs) For those of you who are longtime listeners, then it's just going to be another ride with Jesse. And I'm going to say... There's been a lot going on in my life. Um, For those of you who have been listening linearly, you know that I am now in my fourth class for my master's degree. This one's called the uh, Theories of Psychology. So I have been learning all these different theories right out the gate with Freud and Jung and Adler. And it's just been many, many, many more. I've released the need to memorize this textbook and realize that it's more about just gathering some fundamentals as I complete these tests and these essays. Um, I've only missed one point the entire semester so far. I'm at 269 out of 270, I think, or is it 299 out of 300? Not sure, but I'm doing really well, um, which is taking up considerably less time than it did four or five months ago. Uh, My mouth surgeries are going along very well. I've now finished two of four quadrants, and I will have the last of these done March 12th, and then it's just... uh, my periodontal surgeon, which periodontal is just somebody who is a dentist who then went off and got education to be a periodontist, meaning that they have the skills required to take a scalpel to someone's gums. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave out the gory details, but let's just say it is painful. <laughs> it's not painful after like the fifth or sixth Novocaine injection. Then it's just like, I hope I have a good audio book or some good music lined up because here goes two hours of, you know, him fiddling around in my mouth. That's going well. The knee is off and on. Schoolwork's going well. The business is going well. The servant job that I picked up, I couldn't have asked for it to be just a more chill, relaxing environment. Um, at least for me, um, there are certainly people there who aren't treating it that way, but <laughs> for me, it's just... And just go in there and just be me. It's a lot of coolness. And so for 277, I thought, what would be a really great topic? What would be something that I talk about quite frequently? Um, I've talked about it on the show a lot, uh, so much so I'm not sure it's ever gotten its own episode, though, which is really fun for me to realize that out of 277 episodes in, things that I talk about quite frequently still haven't gotten their own episode. And I might be able to go back through the archives and discover that I did this back at like 87 or 112 or something like that. But as far as I know, I have never given biases their own episode. And one of the reasons why this felt like something to do that was timely, and until I opened up my show on Spotify to see what episode number that this was going to be, I did not know that it was going to be 277. I just knew I wanted to talk about biases. And they show up so frequently in my theories of psychology book, just biases in general. And there's a lot of different ones. And we're going to go through many of those now. But what started 
this entire search and you could Google biases and there's going to be just a myriad. I mean, there's so many different versions and the way people want to talk about them and, and the context and the content and all of that jazz. But the four or five that really got me thinking about this topic a lot was association bias, perspective bias, confirmation bias, exposure bias, and experience bias. And when this started, I realized that confirmation bias is something we talk about a lot on the show. Um, not so sure about the association, exposure, or experience bias. And I have begun recently to talk a lot about perspective bias, which is really just a different way of me saying everything is subjective to your perspective. That it's all about how you choose to see things through your own experiences, your own eyes. It's just a perspective bias. Um, now we're going to dive in a little bit more. We're going to talk about many different biases, and I don't want this to go on for an hour because I've got to be up at 6 in the morning for work, and it's 11 p.m. So let's get right into it so that we can really dive into this, and I can do it the service that it deserves because I love, love, love talking about biases. So why is this important? You are going to have a lot of preconceived determinations about how things are going to play out in your life with others, in certain circumstances, at events, at meetings, and anything that you do in your life, you're generally going to have had some level of experience with it or with something similar enough that your brain is going to try to create meaning. It's going to try to build a bridge. So regardless of whether you've actually been to an AA, NA, Al-Anon, Smart Recovery, Dharma, Refuge, any of those, right, YPR, regardless of whether you've been to any of those or not, if somebody were to say you need to go to a group meeting so you can talk to people of like-mindedness about your addiction, there's going to be a part of you that is going to have heard about them or discussed them or seen something on television or YouTube or social media about them. You are going to have at some point gotten into a group with like-minded individuals and discussed a topic that you were all interested in. Something about the idea of going to a meeting will already be implanted into your brain. And this is just one small example. If I say the word grocery store, if I say the word dog or golden retriever or skyscraper, New York City, Los Angeles, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Bismarck, North Dakota. If I say these places, Timbuktu, the Yukon, the Gold Rush, the Revolutionary War, the North Atlantic Sea. There's going to be some kind of bias you have around these words, around these environments, these ideas. And when we have these biases and we allow them to control us at an unconscious level, what we're doing is we're giving the driver's seat, the wheel of our school bus of life over to our unconscious. And I have certainly known before I even got into my master's in psychology, but certainly it has been further instilled within me since reading all of these theories of psychology that enough of these theorists from back in the day very much believed in what Jung and Freud and Adler were saying when they stated that the unconscious mind directs us 99.9% of the time and that um, a lot of this is developed in childhood. When I teach NLP, one of the very first things that we teach on day one is how your five senses bring in 2.3 million bits of data every single second, and your conscious mind can only hold on to 126 bits of those. So you're looking at just 0.006% 
of all the available data that is being sent to your brain, into your reality every single second, is being able to be picked up by your conscious mind. This is akin to me taking 2.3 million paper clips and only 126 of them being blue and pouring them over your head and asking you to grab out all of the blue ones as they are pouring at you. And then you're going to do this every single second of your life. So your unconscious mind is dictating so many of your behaviors that it's, it's unparalleled to think about how much your unconscious mind is directing you because your brain doesn't want to spend a ton of energy having to figure every little thing out. So wouldn't it just be better, according to your brain, to have biases and stereotypes and generalizations? Wouldn't it just be easier if we deleted and distorted information that just made it easier for us to take in, for us to assimilate into our lives, right? It's really helpful when it comes to tying shoes, because once you've tied one shoe, you can tie any shoe. Opening up doors, they're going to go in, out, left, right, up, or down. I mean, there's not a whole lot of ways a door can open um, until we get into the Star Trek world, where maybe we push a button and it just dematerializes. But for the most part, doors are doors. And this generalization of these things allows the brain to move through life without expending a ton of energy, like your brain burns through. I'm not sure if this statistic is correct, but I just want to totally Barney Stinson this and say 83% of all of your fuel reserves for each day. But I want to say that it's pretty high. It's it's up in that like 30, 40, 50% even. And so it's a lot. Your brain is burning through a lot of your energy. So it's constantly looking for ways to conserve energy and biases are going to help it do that. So let's get into this because I want you to fully be able to embrace this topic and I also don't want to be up till one in the morning. So... It's a dual functionality we got rolling over here. So again, association, perspective, confirmation, exposure, and experience bias is what got me into this. Now let's dive into what my research brought me. The first section I was able to locate was called cognitive biases. Now these are systematic patterns of deviation from normal or rationality um, and judgments that often will affect how we process information and make decisions. Right, so with these cognitive biases will show up as a confirmation bias, the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms your pre-existing beliefs, hypothesis, ideas, anything that will back up what you say. This is where those identity statements come in. I'm an addict. I'm a loser. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm a slob. I'm a thief. I'm a, I'm a criminal. Whatever it might be, your brain is going to be looking for ways to confirm this because the ego doesn't want to be wrong. And so it's going to back it up. And when you use identity statements that tear you down, then your brain is going to be looking for ways that it's true. Not because it wants to continue tearing you down, but you told it that you're a loser. So it's just going to keep looking for ways that you're a loser. So you hit a red light. <laughs> See, still a loser. Right? You pull a number at the deli counter, and the, the deli counter person skips your number and calls the next one. See, I'm just a loser. I'm just invisible, and nobody cares about me. When the woman's just super busy, and she's like, I don't know, daydreaming about going home and watching her shows. Right? The light turns red because it's time for the light to turn red, not because there's some, you know, evil, devious people watching your car drive down the street waiting for you to get to the light to turn it red. But when you start seeking out confirmation biases that don't serve you, that's what you're going to locate. So another example might be if you're in recovery 
you might dismiss the effectiveness of a new treatment strategy because it doesn't align with your pre-existing beliefs about what works in recovery. Um, This is where a lot of people will lock themselves into, well, it's not AA, it's not NA, it's not refuge, it's not Dharma. We get locked in. Like, that's no longer going to serve me, this thing over here. I don't care how many people go to it and believe in it. It's not going to work for me. Well, then you go to one of those meetings and then somebody says something, you know, off the cuff or not even directed at you, but it somehow, you know, pisses you off and you go into reactive mode and you're like, see, see. Told you AA wasn't going to work for me. When we're looking for a confirmation bias, we're going to find it. So why don't we lean into the ones that are more positive and will actually benefit us and empower us? Be on the lookout for confirmation biases. Anchoring bias is relying too heavily on the first piece of information offered when making a decision. We sort of anchor into that. Other ways an anchoring bias can show up is that you might fixate on the first experience you have with recovery, believing it's the only way to achieve sobriety, um, even if it's not necessarily the most effective method. So maybe back in the day, somebody introduced you to a particular meeting, and you're like, nope, that doesn't work for me, and that's not going to happen. And then this anchoring bias says, but that was the way it was introduced to me, so I've got to make it work. Other ways that you can find anchors is that um, an anchoring bias could be with a person. Maybe they were really funny when you first met them, and later on they turned a lot less funny. And maybe they even became toxic in your life. But your brain says, but they were so funny the first time I met them. We're anchored into that first moment. We're anchored into that first memory. This is where the saying that you never get a second chance to make a first impression comes from. Because we anchor in our first impressions, believing that that's who the person always is, when that's not necessarily true probably not true most of the time. Another way anchoring biases can come in is when we start to think about just the way we use anchors in our lives, which is just an emotional, a mental, a spiritual, a physical anchor. So let's say that you um, went to a sporting event and it wasn't a great time. There was a lot of people, too much. So now you anchor in that all sporting events are bad. And then that ties in confirmation bias. Then you go out and you get around a lot of people. And all of a sudden, it's not a lot of fun. And then your anchor is, well, when there's a lot of people somewhere, I don't get to have a lot of fun. That's you relying too heavily on the first piece of information offered instead of allowing your mind to be flexible, realizing that nothing is everything all the time. There's also outcome bias. Um, judging a decision based on its outcome rather than how exactly the decision was made in the moment or how we got to the outcome. Um, This is really effective when we look back at the way we used to potentially behave when we were addicts, right? Did you steal, lie, cheat? Were you jealous, angry, quick to judgment, right? But at the same time, you got an outcome that you preferred, So now we have this outcome bias where we might be like, well, I got this thing I preferred because of this behavior. Can I switch the behavior and still get the outcome that I prefer? Judging the success of a recovery program solely on immediate outcomes, perhaps, without considering the sustainability or the methods used to achieve sobriety can also be an outcome bias. It's just really important to notice that we can get to an outcome, but maybe the method that we got there isn't actually empowering us. In fact, it could be hurting other people. It's like, hey, I was able to get us these drugs. Oh, that's awesome. That's what we wanted. We wanted drugs. How'd you get the drugs? Oh, well, I mugged an old lady for her, you know, social security check. Okay, well, that sucks. (laughs) 
probably shouldn't have done that. That would be right. But hey, we got our drugs, so you know there's a, a means to an end type of thing. However, we got there. Don't care, but we got there. Um, that's sort of this idea that when I watch like the Walking Dead type shows, it's like, yeah, we needed water. And so we just burned down this whole civilization's encampment. But hey, now we have access to the river. Uh, you know, sure, we got the outcome we wanted. And that might bias us to think that it's fine that we did whatever we did to get there. Uh, but in reality, we are humans and morals, ethics, and you know, those kind of things, standards, <laughs> principles, they're going to play a role. So make sure that you're noticing the outcome bias in all the ways that I just described it, to make sure that you are paying attention to sustainability of a program that you might get into, but also noticing that just because you got the outcome that you wanted, it might bias you to think that that behavior is okay when it's not. So we want to be aware of those things. Emotional bias. This is These are some really good ones here. I was really excited when I came across these. Um, they're one, they're, one's called Effect Hyuristic. Now, I had to Google hyuristic, and basically it's a fancy word for common sense, educated guess, uh, practical method, rule of thumb. It's just when something's been done enough times or you've experienced it enough that you just have an intuition that says this is how you should do it. So affect common sense. Uh, Making decisions based on emotions, either positive or negative, associated with the outcome or decision itself. So an example of this would be choosing a recovery path based on how emotionally rewarding it feels in the short term rather than its long-term effectiveness, right? So we notice how it's affecting us now, right? Well, common sense says that I should just go to these meetings for seven days, which is great short-term, but long-term effectiveness. If you get it locked into your head that you have to go to a meeting every single day to stay sober, right? Now we're looking for confirmation bias. And there's also going to be outcome bias here. Well, I went to seven meetings in seven days and I didn't use, so my outcome bias would state that I need to go to a meeting every day. Confirmation bias will feed into that. As long as you're going to meetings, you're staying sober. And then life is life. It shows up and says, nope, don't get to go to a meeting today. Now you might have this effect heuristic meeting its maker with outcome bias and confirmation bias stating, well, didn't go to a meeting today and there goes my sobriety when that's not the case. Just because you missed a meeting one day doesn't mean that you have to go back to the way you were. You just want to be really, really conscious of this emotional bias. There's also the loss aversion bias, when we prefer to avoid losing rather than acquiring. This is where studies have been done. I read a really cool one for my master's the other day that was talking about how a study was done where people would rather not lose $5 then potentially gain $5. So if it was like, give me $5 and you could potentially get your $5 back plus $5, they would be so afraid that they would just lose the $5 that they wouldn't do it. Um, They also did this with like sweet treats where it was like you have the option to get one cupcake now, potentially get no cupcakes later, or get two cupcakes later. And then people would always take the one cupcake because they'd rather have the one cupcake now than potentially have no cupcakes, even though the reward could have been two cupcakes on the other side. So you want to be weary of the loss aversion. Are you trying to avoid losses rather than acquiring the gains? This is that toward versus away energy that I talk about a lot. Are you trying to go toward sobriety and recovery or away from ridiculous addict? 
there's a difference in your energy. And if you're loss aversion biased, then you are going to be somebody less prone to taking risks that may not actually be that risky. See, we are risky type individuals when we are addicts, right? I remember getting on the roof of one of my friend's car and holding onto his ski rack while he sped down the road, like a country road in the dark with no headlights on going 60 miles an hour. I mean, come the fuck on, bro. <laughs> like, seriously? Country road, lots of hills. So we were like jumping up in the air. I'm holding onto the ski rack on the top of his car with no headlights blazing down this road. I mean, a deer, a, a, a freaking cat could have caused his car to go off this road. And I'm flying off the car. Any of that could have happened. So addicts tend to be risky, but we want to be mindful that not everything is as risky as getting on top of the roof of your friend's car on a country road, that sometimes it could just be like, I'm going to risk my comfortability by going to this meeting where I don't know anyone, by going to this event and meeting new people. We don't want to be so loss-averse biased that we don't step out of our comfort zone. And it's okay if we lose a little bit of, of this you know, lack of self-confidence in order to gain all of this confidence. The, the secondary gain that you have around the lack of self-confidence could be keeping you in your bubble, right? Now you have that loss-aversion bias going on, and it's very difficult. So you don't want to have that fear of losing social connections that might prevent you from seeking help, changing environments, quitting. I don't want to lose my friends, so I'm not going to stop drinking. Okie dokie. If those are the kind of friends that you've been surrounding yourself with, then, and I know you've heard this before, it might be time to change friends. Social biases. These relate to how we perceive and interact with other people. right? So there's the in-group bias. Uh, preferring people who are perceived to be part of your clique, part of your world. And we're all going to do this in our own way. We're going to tend to want to be around people who are like-minded, who are into the same kind of things that we are. And that makes sense. I'm not going to sit here and tell you not to do that. I just want you to be mindful of the fact that you could be missing out on a chance to meet really cool people that might bring something totally new and amazing to your life. Right? If you only hang out with people who like Hot Wheels and you never go hang out with people who like Transformers, you could be missing out on a whole new group of people who have a whole amazing reason for why they like Transformers. No one said they don't like Hot Wheels. They just really like Transformers. So if you only want to go to meetings that are faith-based and you miss out on a chance to go to some that are cognitive behavioral therapy-based or Dharma, you know, Buddhist-based, you just might be missing out on all new cool people or new knowledge. This is where I love my curiosity. Like I've been a curious kid since I can remember. And even now to this day, no matter what the conversation topic is, even if I know very little about it, I can find some level of curiosity, pretty much an intense curiosity, where it doesn't really matter what I know, I can start making connections to things I do know and just cool ways that it can help the human experience elevate. Um, One of my podcasts, so I actually have three, College Success Habits, which has been on a long hiatus, this one, and then there's one that I was hired to do by a client called American Contingency, and they help people get prepared and ready for natural man-made disasters. So I host that podcast too. If you want to find it, just go type in American Contingency into whatever your streaming app is, and then just look for the one that I host. And we talked about ham radios the other day, and I don't know anything about ham radios um, other than the fact that, you know, the, one of the dudes on The Walking Dead used it to talk to 
the one thing at the end. See, I don't even explain it well. So anyways, ham radio is like a radio that you can just have in your house and you can talk to people all around the world, depending on repeaters and other things. I do not really fully understand, but I sort of get the concept. And I was fascinated by this subject because it was an opportunity for me to learn really cool ways that people have developed communication strategies in their own homes that can really benefit them during crises when cell phones and regular telephones and the internet goes down. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that like Morse code and the telegraph were developed off of. So I found that super interesting, right? And that's me stepping out of my normal group and into a different one, learning cool stuff. So just think about that. If you've got an in-group bias, it could be holding you back from experiencing new, amazing, awesome people. Uh, What else do we got over here? We got stereotype bias. Now this is expecting a person or a group to have certain qualities without actually having any real information about them. Where this might show up, water break. I appreciate you taking five seconds to allow me to do that. And I'm not going to edit that out. I got other things to do. Just enjoy the fact that you heard me sip on some water. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Water is delicious. Stereotyping bias. Um, Maybe I have a stereotype in mind when it comes to people who really like water, but only prefer the pH version. You know, do I think that these people are obsessive compulsive about water versus somebody who just likes tap water or who just likes well water or just likes the other ones that I can't name off the top of my head right now? Because <laughs> I think water was a really bad example for this. <laughs> Expecting a person or a group to have certain qualities without having any real information about them. We already know what stereotypes are. They're generally used with gender and age and race, ethnicity, um, sexual orientation, but in reality, every single person is different. So I know having lived in Los Angeles and cycled through about 10 different roommates while I lived off of Coenga, um, I had, uh, you know, uh, black roommates. Um, I had gay roommates. I had a female roommates. Uh, I had gay roommates, transgender roommates. I had all, I, oh, it was all, Hey, what's up? I live in Hollywood. Come on down. Let's be the next contestant on Living with Jesse. Um, and I'm sure they were like, yeah, I live with this one raging heterosexual one time. <laughs> yeah, some tall, skinny dude. He was white. He was a T-swam. That dude, just, that guy could drink a gallon of vodka and then, you know, want to go to the club. Guy knows what they, how they might describe me, but it's all stereotype and it's a bias and it's bullshit, right? Because everybody's different and we have no idea what anyone's going to be like until we actually get to know them and we actually have an opportunity to to be around them enough that they drop their their fake persona, right? Their their advisor, their marketing agent, uh, and allow their actual self to step through. So stereotyping bias, be aware of it. It's bullshit. It's a pain in the ass. And honestly, it's caused humans to kill each other for thousands of years. And I'm pretty fucking tired of it. Association bias. Now, this is one that came off the original list, right? This is the tendency to form associations between certain groups of people and specific attributes, which can lead to stereotyping and prejudicing. And that's the way that my research wants me to discuss it. But when I talk about association biases, yes, it can have to do with everything that we just covered in the stereotyping bias. But an association bias can also work against you in your own addiction recovery. Right, People might associate you as the addict, as the black sheep. They might associate you to a certain bar, a certain type of behavior. And then when they come around you, that's just the association that they have locked in. Confirmation bias kicks in, and now they just don't get to see the new you. 
where association bias can also show up is just if somebody you know is associated to somebody you don't like, right? So what I noticed at this new restaurant gig is that I have zero interest in not liking anybody there. And I'm going to talk to everybody. But in the talking to everybody, I might actually end up talking to somebody that a lot of other people at the restaurant do not favor. And then once everybody gets to know me a little bit more, somebody will confide in me that like, yeah, I didn't really like you at the beginning because you seem to be real buddy, buddy, chummy, chummy with that one person over there. That's an association bias. They knew nothing about me, but I was talking to that person that they didn't like. Therefore, I must be like the person they don't like. That's where this association bias triggered me to add it into this show specifically. Just because somebody knows somebody else and you don't like them, the person, right? So you like you don't like person A and person B likes person A. So you decide that you're not going to like person B, but you don't know shit about person B. So get to know person B. They just may not be a dick and just want to be cool to everybody. <laughs> in that case, then you're the jerk in this whole thing, not them. Um, another way association bias can show up would be associating recovery only with certain groups or lifestyles, um, which can absolutely limit your willingness to explore diverse support systems. This is like if somebody was like, hey, I know a really cool recovery group, but it's um, only um, Nigerian Buddhist monks born in 1994 through 1997 who absolutely despise football and think um, Gatorade is the most delicious beverage ever invented. Now, (laughs) that is just the most ridiculous example I could rattle off the top of my head. Thank you very much for enjoying that. Um, But then I might have an association be like, yeah, you know, I'm just not a big fan of Gatorade. So screw all the other stuff about them. When it could be the most cool, amazing, powerful meeting I ever went to. So do you just be aware of association bias? Memory biases. These are really important, right? This is how we have are recalling and interpreting memories. We might have the rosy retrospection bias where we remember past events more positively than they actually were. I was actually talking to a client recently who had discussed how they were going back and talking with their family members about certain memories that they were recalling. And the family would be like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting pieces of it, right? But in the wrong order and different people were there. And it's like they had just sort of put it together in their brain, but not necessarily the way other people remembered it. And enough people remembered it one particular way for it to be like, oh, okay, I'm definitely not remembering this the correct way as compared to everybody else that was there. So we have that rosy retrospection where it could be the good way. Um, we could also have the Eeyore retrospection where, right, where everything's doom and gloom. So we might be thinking about these memories and really dark and negative when that may not necessarily be how they were. And one of the interesting things I learned in a study I read recently was that when the brain has to put together a memory, it literally pieces it all back together. You might think that it just pops back into your head as a picture, but that picture has to be pieced together through a lot of different cognitive resources. And so whoever's there, whatever, however old you were, the more you will relive this by um, this memory in your head, whether it's Rosie or Eeyore, either way, right? Or it could just be neutral. 
the more you remember it, the more opportunity there is for you to start to delete, distort, and generalize aspects of that memory that might actually be very important to remembering it more accurately. Does that make sense? Right? You keep remembering a time when you're six years old and your mom didn't pick you up from school. And next thing you know, it goes from just being a normal day to now all of a sudden there was, uh, you know, stray dogs wandering around the school grounds and it was cloudy and super windy. And, you know, uh, those, what are those little cacti things in deserts that blow down the street? <laughs> Anytime they try to make someplace look super deserted in a TV show or movie, those, those whatever they're called, I don't know, like little twigs gather up in balls and just get blown down the street. It's like a Hollywood thing. It's very isolated. How do we know it's isolated? Because this ball of twigs just rolled past us, and that's what balls of twigs in the desert are supposed to mean. <laughs> so we start to create the memory if we want to see it rosy then we're going to that's the memory bias we'll have if we want to see it eeyore then that's the memory bias we'll have and then the confirmation bias will kick in the association bias will kick in the outcome bias will kick in and then that's just the way we're going to remember it so just be really mindful um another way that i put in here would be remembering past substance use more positively than it actually was, minimizing the negative consequences experienced. Also, um, you could be potentially remembering things more positively. This is where I came up with play it through to the credits. Let me correct myself. I did not come up with play it through to the credits. I'm pretty sure Melissa, my therapist, and I discussed this, and it was at best co-created, but more than likely instilled into my brain because of her, that we play it through to the credits, that we don't see things with this rosy perspective, that we don't allow ourselves to fool ourselves into thinking that the using was actually a really awesome thing and we should go back to doing it. So be mindful of how that rosy retrospection bias could screw with you and convince you that, hey, I've been sober for a month. I can probably go back. Everything will be fine. I've beaten this monster. You have not. It's the three-headed monster that even Godzilla loses to. Also, think about the Eeyore bias. Seeing your life back then or picturing yourself way more negatively than it actually was. Uh, I am sure that there are aspects of my bathtub story that I have, because I have told that story hundreds upon hundreds of times, that I am sure there's aspects of that that I have deleted, distorted, or generalized at this point. How I absolutely positively remembered it, you know, week one is not the same way I'm probably telling the story now. Uh, It'd be really cool if I had a recording of how I used to talk about it just to see, you know, where I might have deleted, distorted, or generalized information that I'm not even aware of. Like, I would not intentionally lie about any of that aspect. I know I came to an ice-cold bathtub covered in my own piss, shit, blood, and vomit. Um, but who knows what aspects of that, even in my own brain. I may not actually be changing the story to you guys, but I might be picturing it in my head, better or worse. And I would not be aware of that because that's kind of things locked in my unconscious mind. So there you go. I've dived into that. Hindsight bias, seeing past events as being more predictable than they were before they took place. Um, I said this in an essay recently that we should be really mindful of judging our misguidedness based on the empowering nature of hindsight, right? So we can look back and see racism and we can look back and see all the isms. We could look back and, and be like, yeah, I really shouldn't have treated my spouse or my loved ones the way that I did. 
but when I was an addict. Well, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, in hindsight, you probably shouldn't have been stealing from your friends and families. You probably shouldn't have been stealing from work. You probably shouldn't have been lying to cover up your hangovers and all that jazz. It's very easy to judge our behaviors based on hindsight, but it's misguided and it's not helpful. So just be mindful of the hindsight bias where you might be seeing past events as more easily predicted than what they actually were. We're making the best decisions we can with the knowledge we have right now and the resources we have available to us. There are no unresourceful people. There are unresourceful emotional states. And it's real easy to judge our past um, choices based off of you know where we're at now. But if we were in a heightened emotional state then when we made that choice, yeah, yeah, it probably wasn't going to be the ultimate best one because the emotional mind does not tend to lean into the best one of anything. It tends to lean in what feels good or what gets us away from pain in the moment, not necessarily what will be the most beneficial long term. So just be mindful of that one as well. So another one I put down on here is believing after achieving um, some level of sobriety that the path to recovery was more obvious than it felt during the process. That I hear a lot. Well, yeah, man, I wish I'd have known this then. Or, well, you know, it just seems so easy now. I can't believe I didn't make this choice back then. Well, I mean, if it had been that obvious, then you probably would have made that choice. But it wasn't obvious until you got here. It's like having 100 keys, and after you go through 99 of them, finally unlocking the door with that 100th, and then noticing how much different that one key is than the other 99, and saying, well, why didn't I notice that? Because you had 99 other freaking keys that your brain was trying to figure out how to shuffle through. 2.3 million bits of data, 126 consciously can be, like, can actually be grasped. Give yourself a break. Our brain's got a lot going on. It's trying to do a lot of stuff, including, like, breathing and digesting and, like, you know, pumping blood through our body. It's not like it's not doing something. (laughs) So be gentle on yourself when you, whenever you realize three months later how much you know better the decision you made yesterday was and why didn't you make it 90 days ago? Well, because you needed to go through those other 27 feedback opportunities to get to the one that actually benefited you. It's all and just the way we decide to, to picture it in our minds. Decision-making bias. We got the overconfidence bias where we might be more confident in our own abilities than is objectively justified. Um, you know, that's sort of that blind faith. And there is that fake it till you make it, which Aubrey and I love to relabel in our NLP class of believe it till you become it. Believe it till you become it. Um, that overconfidence bias might cause you to just charge headlong into something without actually knowing if you're even capable of it. But, you know, I love to punch above the belt. I, I, love, I love to swing at the fastball when I know that it's my weak link. I, I don't care. I'll just go for it. You know, it's, it's not that I don't. It's not that I have an overconfidence bias as much as I have a determination not to let my lack of self-esteem or my fears hold me back. If I have to, if I double take on myself moving forward on something, then generally there's that part of me that's like, okay, am I intuitively telling myself not to do this because it won't benefit me or there's a danger, there's an actual thing I could be hurt by or lose? Or is this just my own, you know, cognitive 
blah, 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 silly little brain telling me not to do it because it's going to step me out of my comfort zone and I could get rejected. If rejection is the worst thing that I can think of in that moment that might occur from not stepping into something brand new, then I'm sure as hell not going to let rejection because you know what? Nothing hurts worse than rejecting yourself. I'd rather the world reject me and me be like, fuck it, at least I tried. At least I put myself out there. Then never put myself out there and reject myself without giving the rest of the world a chance. Um, hell, if I'd have gone with that kind of mentality, I never would have launched this show. And I did spend like the first 80 or 100 episodes never talking about the recovery coaching, never talking about the business because I was so afraid that if people actually reached out and I went off and coached people that maybe I wouldn't be as effective as I wanted to be. So let's learn, 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 learn more instead of just jumping in and starting to do it, realizing that um, any help for most people is better than no help at all. And if they find a connection to the show, they're probably going to enjoy the connection and the coaching. So it took like a good two years for me to really embrace it. Um, it wasn't until I launched the online academy, Wise Mind Empowerment and Recovery, and, and, and created the tribe and started teaching NLP that I really was like, oh, okay, yeah, I got this. I'm ready to help people. Um, but again, you know, hindsight being what it is. So didn't have overconfidence bias then. In fact, I had underconfidence bias. So yeah fun with that one. Uh, There's the choice overload bias. It's another decision-making bias where we're overwhelmed by having too many choices uh, leading to poor decisions, indecision, or an emotional decision. When there's choice overload and we start to feel overwhelmed, frustrated, or confused, we're going to be making decisions based on our emotional mind. I'm very, very mindful not to make decisions when I'm sad or promises when I'm happy. And you should write that down on one page. Don't make decisions when you're sad or promises when you're happy. You're operating from an emotional state. Allow yourself to even out and then make sure that that is a really good choice. Just throwing that out there. When you feel overwhelmed, uh, let's say by all the treatment options and support groups that are available, you might just delay doing any of them. And that indecision right? It's the paralysis by analysis kind of mentality. So just be mindful of choice overload. A study was done. I read a lot of studies, apparently. Uh, A study was done that humans don't actually want there to be 37 varieties of toothpaste on the aisle. This is why we get attached to a brand and stick with it. So this is why we use Tide to wash our clothes in the house. This is why we use, I think it's Crest, um, for our toothpaste. This is why I use the same deodorant, this like organic one without aluminum in it uh, by Arm & Hammer. You know, I stick with things. I don't need 17 choices. People think that you want a ton of choices. They actually don't. And that's why I built my online course the way that I did was that rather than having there be 127 modules on there like my old one had, now it's something where you only get the next module once you complete the one before it. Because when people open up these online courses and they see 117 different videos or audios to listen to, it's a a choice overload. There's too many choices. They feel overwhelmed, so they don't take action on any of it. Um, Speaking of that, if you'd like to know more about how to be involved in my online community, the tribe, the school, or take any of the classes that I am creating right now, including my new one, the Emotional Resiliency and Psychological Safety, 
course, um, go to jessemogul.com slash ask me and fill out the form. I would love to hop on a 20-minute call with you and discuss how any of the stuff that I talk about could be more proactively applied to your life. All you got to do is run over to jessemogul.com forward slash ask me, fill out the form that's uh, under the coaching tab, and I will hop on a phone call with you and we'll discuss this. I think it'd be pretty cool to meet you. I really do. Love it when I get those forms. Recently got one from somebody who's been listening to me for like at least a couple years. And uh, it was just amazing, you know, the message and the power and the force that this person had. And it's going to be awesome to finally get a chance to meet them. So there you go. You want some choices on how to work with me? I've kept it to just a handful so there's not overload. Um, some more additional specific biases. Let's go over uh, a couple of those that I mentioned at the beginning. So we've already covered association bias and we've covered confirmation bias. We did a little bit of perspective bias too, uh, but now I want to dive into it even deeper. Right, This is that inclination to view situations, events, or an understanding of a viewpoint through a particular lens, that perspective. This is subjective to you. Right, So it can limit your empathy, your understanding, your compassion towards yourself, towards others, within social interactions, within your decision makings. It's your perspective bias. It's like, I'm six foot three. My perspective bias is that um, a lot of people have tops of heads that I can see. If you're five foot two, your perspective is going to be substantially lower than mine. It is a perspective bias. That is the viewpoint that you have had for years, and that is your perspective, right? So from your perspective at 5'2", I may not look like I have any hair because I, my forehead is really big. <laughs> so, but to somebody who's six foot seven, I might look like I have a thick head of hair because they're looking down at me. It's all perspective bias. So you could be viewing your own recovery as the only valid path potentially dismissing other approaches that could benefit you or someone else because of your perspective. Well, this is what worked for me, so this must work for everybody. Nope, you're doing something different, so therefore you're a dry drunk in it. You're dry sobering it. You're not working an actual program because your program isn't exactly like mine. That's a potential perspective bias to be mindful of. There's a lot of different perspective biases. You could have a perspective bias because you were born in the state of Alabama or Texas, that your state's the best. Or because you were born in Texas, you think everybody from Oklahoma is a bunch of morons. What's really interesting is I have lived in enough states that I know that people in Indiana make fun of Kentucky people. People in Kentucky make fun of Indiana people. Florida and Georgia make fun of one another. Oklahoma and Texas make fun of one another. Tennessee and Kentucky make fun of one another. Mississippi and Alabama make fun of one another. Uh, I am sure North and South Dakota make fun of one another. It's all perspective bias. Even the jokes that we used to tell when we were kids in the 80s and 90s, any one of them could have just had the state changed into a different order and been making fun of the other state. It's all perspective bias. Just be mindful that your subjective perspective is your perspective bias alone and nobody else's. We also have exposure bias. Now, this is a cool one that I'm not sure I was able to Google and find anything about. I, I have almost, I'm going to say this with all sincerity and like truthfulness, truthiness. I'll go with Stephen Colbert's truthiness. That I've really thought that you can pretty much throw the word bias behind almost any word and have it make sense depending on how you decided you want to explain it. So you could have determination bias. 
right? That if you are determined, you will succeed. If you're not determined and you don't work hard, you won't succeed. If you have discipline bias, right? You might say, well, discipline is doing something every day. So if I do something every day, I'm disciplined. And if you don't do it every day, you're not disciplined. Well, when I came up with exposure bias, it was this idea that the more we're exposed to something, the more we're going to have a bias toward it, whether good, bad, right, wrong, indifferent, neutral. We're going to have some kind of bias to it. So that tendency to, or a preference, if you will, for things that we are familiar with or have been exposed to frequently, um, that can then limit our openness to new experiences or new information, just new something, right? So I might have exposure to the city of Nashville to go to live music, and I don't know Birmingham as much, so I don't want to go to Birmingham because I don't know it as well as I know Nashville. I know where to park. I know how to get there. I know how long it'll take, and I don't know that with Birmingham, so because I have more exposure with Nashville, I bypass opportunities to go to Birmingham. Maybe I have... This definitely is what's happening with Southwest. I will not fly another airline other than Southwest if I do not have to. In the last 10, 15 years, I've only flown another airline other than Southwest once. Once. It is my exposure bias. I have enough exposure with Southwest that I have that airline memorized, and I don't want to go dicking around with another one. That's an exposure bias. You might have an exposure bias to a certain meeting or certain kinds of people. And because you're familiar with them, you don't step out of your comfort zone and try something else. So just be mindful of how exposure bias is holding you back to really expanding your life. Another way that you could begin to look at it would be preferring, again, that familiar coping mechanisms that could actually be unhealthy um, rather than exploring healthier options. So you might, again, think about alcohol and drugs and that exposure bias we have with those. That was our coping mechanism. And until somebody introduced the gym to me at 29, I never in a million years thought that that might be a better way of dealing with my energy. I was like, nope, I'm just genetically prone to not having muscles, and that's just the way that it is, which is complete BS. But yet I believed it, and I allowed myself to fall for all that nonsense. So exposure bias, be mindful. Um, Also, we have experience bias. This is another one that I thought of. I I Googled around. I didn't really see anybody else talking about it. The experience bias, very similar to exposure bias, but where we might overvalue our own experiences and undervalue or disregard uh, the experiences and perspectives of others. Right now, we're being more narrow. We're not being expansive. We're being constrictive of the world and limiting our learning opportunities because our experience, right? How many times you've heard somebody say that? Well, in my experience, it works this way. Well, okay, that's great. That's in your experience, right? But I, I don't know about how this other experience might actually be super awesome. Like, yes, in my experience, it is a better idea to ride a two-wheel bicycle up a hill than a unicycle. But somebody else might have a really hilarious story about doing a unicycle up a hill. And just because my experience bias doesn't necessarily have that, or if I tried it, I went horribly wrong, rolled down the mountain straight into a palm tree, and now I don't ever want to try it again. Your experience bias works very much hand-in-hand with exposure bias. And because you have experiences with one thing, you might think, well, nope, this is just the way I've done it. I've always eaten at this Mexican restaurant. I don't want to try a different Mexican restaurant. I know this Mexican restaurant's good. I get it. I totally do. We want to stay in a comfortable setting. We don't necessarily always have to feel uncomfortable. And I'm not telling you 
to always feel uncomfortable. But definitely check yourself before you wreck yourself on this one. And don't let opportunities pass you by just because the experience 20 years ago uh, may be different now. Um, a lot of people in the tribe, which is my online community that meets on Voxer, um, again, if you're interested in talking with like-minded people who listen to this show regularly, then the tribe could be for you. Go to jessemogul.com, ask me, and f- click on that coaching link and fill out that form. We'll hop on a call. We'll talk about the tribe. And one of the cool things that we've been talking about recently is how we go to concerts. And a lot of us went to concerts as wasted freaking, you know, morons back in the day. And now we're sober and some are still waiting to go to their first show. Um, Others like me have been to many shows. Um, I don't know if any of them have been to as many shows as I've been to, but I don't know many people who go to as many shows as I go to in general. Unless they're following the Dead Fish or Pearl Jam, then they've probably been to more shows than me. But my point being is that we might have an exposure, an experience bias based off of going to raves or live music on how we used to behave. But now we're going to get to go and expose ourselves sober. And now we're going to get to create a whole new experience. And now that can be the bias. That can be the benefit. So that was it, my friends. I told myself I'd do this in 30 minutes, and here we are at minute 52. So now it's almost midnight, and I'm exhausted, so I'm going to wait to edit this until the morning, so this isn't going to come out until the afternoon. But any of you who aren't listening linear don't wouldn't have needed to know that because you never would have known to begin with. But I talked about how it was going to come out tonight, and now it's not. Um <laughs> Because my experience bias about going into the restaurant job on less than five hours of sleep is that it doesn't go well. And I'm like really exhausted. And if I don't drink a protein shake and eat some fruit like four hours in, then I bonk. Um, I do this thing there where I we have like um, a whole fruit area for when we put it onto the breakfast dishes and stuff. And uh, one of the cool things is that um, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, um, grapes, and apples are right now our seasonal fruit. So I'll get a big bowl of that, and I'll get my protein shake. And um, I'll put some of the fruit in my mouth and start to chew it up, and then I'll pour some of the protein shake, drink it all, drink it up, and then I chew the fruit up with the protein shake, and I call it my mouth smoothie. <laughs> When I when I say it there, it sounds a lot more funny. When I say it on the microphone, it sounds. Oh, uh, mouth smoothie? Yeah, I don't know. Yep. Now that I say it to y'all, maybe I'm starting to notice. <laughs> maybe everybody there has been laughing at me and not with me. <laughs> uh, you know what? What is it? Somebody was saying the other day, like, what? What age? Like, when will I stop caring about what people think about me? And I heard this not too long ago. I think it was the the eighteen forty sixty rule, where at eighteen you think everybody's caring, everybody's caring about you and paying attention to you. At forty, uh, you real uh, you decide that you don't care what anyone thinks about you. And at sixty, you realize that nobody was paying attention to you, and they were all in their own head dealing with their own bullshit. So when they said, you know, when will I, how do I stop worrying about what people think about me? My shotgun response was turn forty. <laughs> so. Mouth smoothies it is, people. Mouth smoothies it is. So there's our biases. You've got some cognitive ones. You've got some emotional, some social, some memory, some decision-making, those additional ones. But the ones I really wanted to highlight were 
the association bias, perspective bias, confirmation bias, outcome, exposure, and experience bias, because those are the ones I could have literally just done a 30 minute episode on that. I am realizing now in hindsight, (laughs) I could have alleviated the hour long show by just keeping it to those five or six different biases, but that's not what I do. This is 277, y'all. 277. In 23 weeks, we are going to be celebrating episode 3 freaking 100. Association bias, perspective bias, confirmation bias, exposure bias, experience bias, outcome bias. These are some of the biases I want you all to pay attention to. Notice where they're showing up in your life. Biases are running our lives It's all happening underneath the radar. It sucks. It's annoying. But I'm telling you what, whenever you shine a light on them, they come out of the shadows and you're able to better make decisions with this new amazing information. Maybe I'll take the computer downstairs and have a smoothie while I'm watching For All Mankind and edit the podcast. I could do that. I don't call this one a mouse smoothie because I'm going to use the magic bullet. And so I, it will already be a smoothie before I drink it. I only call it a mouse smoothie whenever I'm chewing the fruit while I'm drinking the protein shake. <laughs> I can't. It just sounds so funny. All right, I'm out of control. My friends, I do not have sponsorships on this show specifically because I really have no interest in, in schlepping somebody else's product that... I may not. I don't really want to go through all the effort of finding them, let alone putting my faith in their product. But I can put my faith in my product because I know that it's coming from me, and I know how hard I work to help people, and I know how much this information has helped you time and time again. I thank you all for telling other people about the show. I thank you all for going on and giving me five stars and an amazing review on iTunes. Anybody who would like to go do that, please. It just helps the algorithm push my show up so more people can learn about what it is I do. So I don't do all the sponsorships specifically because I'd rather just tell you guys about the stuff that I'm creating. And if you're interested, jessemogul.com slash ask me, fill out the form. Of course, I do run that ad at the end of this episode. So uh, pay attention after the outro and hear about some of the things that I'm doing. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Chew smoothie. Oh, my goodness. Why didn't I think of that before? That sounds way less whack. Chew smoothie, everybody. Go out there. Try one for yourself today. Bye-bye.